0: Hello everyone, this is Imani Roach and I'm the managing editor over at Artblog. Welcome to Artblog Radio. Today we have a wonderful guest who I'm really excited to speak to, artist and writer, Carolyn Lazard. Say hello. Hi. Excellent. Um, So we're going to be talking about a lot of things today, um, but I wanted to start uh, because I've been a fan of your work for a long time. Um, and I've noticed, um, you know, it's tends to be very autobiographical, um, very personal even intensely. So, um, and I, I, feel like I have come to know something about you from, from looking at your work. Um, and at the same time you have, um, on your website when I was looking for your artist statement, this really kind of clever refusal, um, in your artist statement of, um, sort of letting people into sort of who you are. And it seems like a refusal also of the way that we sort of package ourselves professionally to sort of be legible to the art world or I think really in any profession. Um, and so, you know, and I should also say, um, you know, in the work of yours that I've seen, you part of what makes it so personal is that you use, These sort of, you know, mundane experiences um, of your chronic illnesses, of which you have several, um, as the material. I mean, that is the sort of um, the raw material of your work, of your video work, of your photo work, of your performance work. Um, And so I think my first question to you is, um, you know, to what extent are you interested in people getting to know you?
1: Yeah. Well, first I want to say thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited to have this conversation. Um, yeah, that's a really good question. I think I, maybe a a way to get at this is, um, maybe distinguishing a little bit between like the autobiographical and the personal, Mm -hmm. because I've also been asking myself these, these questions about my own work. Um, it sometimes, I feel like there's something about autobiography that has to do with a kind of narrative um, which I think my work um, obviously has something to do with narrative but also sometimes is, it's not, I guess I would think of it more as being personal than autobiographical mm-hmm. and maybe more in invested in the kind of intimacy of these experiences rather than the story of the experiences, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then I guess another way to answer that question is through the idea of performance, which I've been thinking about, which is how um, <clears throat> I'm not so interested in like, my, sto- like I said, my story of chronic illness. In writing, I'm, I'm more interested in exploring that, but in through my visual and, you know, other work that sort of is contextualized within contemporary art, I, I'm, I guess, I, f- I find that I am using my body in a kind of um, representative capacity um, in the sense that I think what's cool about performance is that it's um, particular, but not singular. Hmm. Meaning that it can sort of point to something, but it's not actually about that body as that particular body. And I think those are the strategies I'm interested in employing in the way that I use my body. Like, it's not actually about my life, but it is about a kind of stand-in for a kind of disabled subjectivity or something. So... um, so in some ways, I'm not that interested in people knowing that much about me. I think I do have in my work and my writing and other ways that I participate um, publicly in the world. I am very open about these things, yeah. um, but that's more because I'm invested in creating a kind of um, a, a kind of culture around disability um, that is public, a public culture around mm. disability. But in terms of the work itself I d I'm I don't think people should know anything about I don't I don't know if people need to know anything about me. I think people um, I just want I want people to understand it as a like I'm kind of invested in people understanding a disabled subject as like a particular kind of configuration at a particular time. Um, with a set of relations to others and to the economy, you know, like, yeah. that's kind of what I'm more interested in. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, you mentioned intimacy um, as part of the core of what you're trying to get at. Um, and I just wanted to know if you could talk a little bit more about that as a sort of theme. Um, it it comes through, I think, pretty strongly in, in much of your work. But. Yeah, Um
1: I guess my interest in intimacy have a lot to do with, um, I guess, the fact that my work in lots of ways is related to dependency and care, which are these kinds of, um, you know, care as also a relational set of practices and yeah. dependency as, uh, as a relationship, right? And so there's, like, this space between you and others through the act of care and through the relationship of dependency. And I think that's kind of like this, that's the space of intimacy that I'm most interested in. Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess, um, and then also, I guess, the intimacy of the fact that these kinds of relationships often occur in private. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm invested in sort of trying to understand that private space or the domestic space or the private institutional space like a hospital or a therapist's office or that kind of space and sort of as a site or potential for another kind of like sociality or a a politics that maybe we don't see in it because it's private. But if we can kind of expose it, it opens up opportunities for drawing other kinds of connections between people and and politicizing people if that right. makes sense
0: absolutely um you know you you mentioned sort of subjects as being relational um and even just looking at your sort of more traditional video work, you bring a team together you know when you when you produce some of that material um and also you know looking at your performance um whether it was the what is it like a script for score for field score for feel, yes yeah. um or even you know some of your more recent uh, performance work, it also seems to be about enlisting other bodies besides your own. Um, so you know I, I wanted to know a little bit more about your attitude towards collaboration. Is that important to you? Why? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. It definitely
1: is. I think. On a very basic level, I just, like, enjoy collaborating. I think it's, like, a very generative practice to work with others. Um, I also think working with others is, like, the lifeblood of living. Mm. (laughs) So, you know, and that, like, we all have a kind of fiction of a kind of um, not just an isolated artist, but an isolated person. Um, who is capable of producing on their own, which is not true, which is that all of even all of our capacity for labor is contingent upon the labor of others, yeah. and so um I think those things are really important to me in in my work um in terms of like actually collaborating, but then also i'm interested in the work of others as a kind of formal element of mm. my work as well, if that makes sense how do you mean um I guess like I mean, I I could maybe like describe a specific piece. Yeah, or that would be great. In case people would have no familiarity with the things that I do, um, I'm thinking about support system, which is a performance piece from last fall um, that I sort of enacted in, in a residency space that was a domestic space, but was also kind of an institutional space because yeah. it was in a it was a home, but it was also this specific program mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> where. Um, Support system. It's well, it's called Support System for Park Tina and Bob. It's named after two uh, friends and great artists, um, Park MacArthur and Tina Zavitsanos, and Bob Flanagan, who's an artist who passed away um, a long time ago. Was working in the '80s and '90s. Hmm. Was um, kind of an artist who was highly making work that was highly visible around disability and BDSM. Hmm. Um, and it's sort of this work is based on or draws from works that they've made in Hmm. the past. Um, But basically, I had the residency create this really simple infrastructure for doing sort of a day of visiting hours in the kind of like, you know, cutesy 19th century, like, you know, mode of convalescence, um, where people could sign up for 30-minute slots to come visit me as I was convalescing. Um, So it was from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., and I overlapped course of that those 12 hours I saw 24 people um and I well 25 because actually one person came with somebody else Mm -hmm. but um yeah and so people could come and spend time with me and the cost of admission for the performance was one bouquet of flowers Mm -hmm. so basically people would come and I would sort of Um, Sometimes I would ask them to do things for me, but more often than not, under the premise of them visiting me because I was convalescing, there were all of these other sort of like, I don't know how to explain them, but exchanges of labor that would happen that maybe you wouldn't normally think of in that situation. Like I found myself actually providing more care for others than care was provided for me um, because of the intimacy of having somebody come into my bedroom and sit on my bed and talk to me for half an hour. Um so
0: like as a hostess or well, what kind of labor?
1: I guess people would come in and I think what happens is when you create the conditions of intimacy people really respond to it and so what happens is like even though I'm the sick one in the bed there are also just like sick people walking around or different kinds of sickness right. and people will just come and like some people I knew, some people I didn't know, people just like really opened up and were kind of vulnerable in that space. Uh, Um, But so there's, this is like a whole day of performances, but the work itself is really only represented by the accumulation of these flowers, which is about 24 bouquets of flowers. Um, And I think in some ways that was kind of like the first, what I would consider like my first real sculpture that Hmm. I ever made. Um, And I think, I'm interested or what's interesting about that work is it's a sculpture that I made but through the work and through the labor of others, right? Right. So like I employed other people to come and bring me this as a gesture of care but through the accumulation of those gestures something sort of excessive and large was like built. Um, And I think, you know, that's what I'm interested in is that we live in a world that like is predicated on an idea of um... I don't know scarcity in a- across the board, right? Yeah. Economic, but also like emotional, yeah. um, and in terms of care, that there's not enough, mm-hmm. and sort of like the needs of people who do not fit neatly into the economy, um, who cannot produce, who maybe are seen to s- who are seen as consuming more than they can give back, right? right. So I think disabled people figure well in that configuration. Right. Um, I guess. I guess I'm interested in thinking through that scarcity and showing or not show maybe showing isn't the right word, but trying to understand how that scarcity is a fallacy and how we are actually in a situation of excess Mm. and abundance, right? Mm. Like these flowers are really over the top and excessive and it's kind of like garish to have like 24 bouquets of flowers together. And there's even like a funerary quality to it. But the idea that like, you know, um, that if we all contribute a little bit, we actually have more than we need, right. right? Which is very different from like the economic model that we have that's like not based on any kind of sense of collectivity, right. so yeah.
0: Fantastic, um, yes, that makes me think of many, many things. Um, I, I think, um, you know, the way that you're again bringing Also, like this, to a certain extent, like the secrets of society, or for lack of a better word, come out of this domestic sphere. You know, it's like the way that you're able to make a sort of argument about scarcity and abundance is also through this thing you were talking about earlier about sort of bringing the things that happen sort of unspoken, the kinds of emotional labor that happen that happen invisibly, bringing those out into the light seems to be like the key in some ways to um, exposing, you know, what kind of abundance there really is.
1: Yeah, and hopefully, like, you know, I don't, sometimes I feel weird being too, like, I, I, I don't know, maybe we need a certain kind of optimism, but like really trying to use these different ways of seeing as a way to understand that we're not in the world that we're told that we're in. Yeah. If that makes sense. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, I mentioned at the, uh, start that you are also a writer. Um, one of the things that you write really beautifully and eloquently about is, um, the way that disability as a category is opposed to sort of productivity um, in a society that is structured so much around a certain kind of labor. Um, and, you know, I think also as an artist, there's a way in which artists are also problematic figures, you know, in, in the sort of totally. the labor economy, because, like, what do we slash you even do, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, and so I, I think I, I wanted to ask just how you think of yourself now, um as not only an artist but um, an artist who is sort of laboring under the the sign of disability and also um, how you think about ambition because you know you, you just told me before we started that you started an MFA program at Penn, which is incredibly prestigious and exciting. You've got this show at the new museum that you know recently opened um, so yeah, I mean I think both, how are you thinking about labor in general, and also um, how how are you thinking about your own ambition?
1: Yeah, um, that's a really good question. I mean, I think like one of the sort of what is an interesting what starts out as a kind of like you know a sad tragic story about like FOMO or like disabled people in FOMO actually can be transformed into this like JOMO, you know, like this like joy (laughs) of missing out or like the sort of like joys of the inability of part participating in some way. Maybe that's problematic, right? Even as I'm fighting for, or making arguments for, um, Inclusion and access and all of these things that it's like inclusion and access to what, right? right? Like what do we actually want access to? If it's access to like global racial capitalism then like I don't want that. Right. So I think there's like it's like we were talking before about the excess. It's like I think there are just like different ways of conceiving of like what, what we want and what we want to work towards. I think as an artist and getting an MFA I'm also interested in um, you know, I think something that people maybe don't think that much about is, like, sort of dis- disability and all of its intersections, which is that, like you know disabled people are incredibly economically disenfranchised like the relationship between disability and poverty is so strong because it's literally because people cannot compete in the market because they do not have the labor power that's expected of them or normatively expected of them and so I think as a disabled artist I'm sort of trying to figure out how to find a way to some kind of economic stability and You know, increased visibility doesn't lead to more economic stability as we understand. I mean, we can look at so many models of marginalized people for whom, you know, black folks, trans folks, all kinds of people who have increased visibility in the public sphere, but that hasn't necessarily translated into any kind of um, economic power. Um, So, I think I'm trying to figure that out. I think like it's hard for me to be ambitious when like my prime, like I do, I feel driven in some ways, Um, not to a kind of success within the art market, but to um, driven to sort of keep being in process with this this articulation in my work and my writing that feels urgent. So that's kind of where my ambition is oriented. Um, and then also because like, I have to take care of myself and that's number one. I don't have the luxury or the privilege of being able to kind of, um, put that aside in order to produce. Um, it's something that cannot be compromised even when I want it to be Mm -hmm. right. Like even when I want to do the cool thing Mm -hmm. and, um, there's other things that take precedence because my self-management my self-maintenance my ability to like reproduce myself in this world is 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 paramount um so i think there's that and then i think one of the cool things about being uh you know kind of visible and vocal around disability is that it kind of instantiates its own terms around which people can engage with me right so you can't invite the disabled artist to do something in an ableist way Hmm. you know so it's like it kind of um the way that like my body moves through spaces creates new terms of engagement and Hmm. I think that's really interesting because it forces institutions to slow down um which I think they should slow down for everyone, not just for me. Right. But I think the way that I can generate that is is good and productive in another way—not the productive that has to do with you right. know ambition and capital, but the right. kind of productive that has to do with like the change that we need to have everybody involved. If yeah, that makes sense.
0: That makes perfect sense. Um, have you had difficulty? I mean, you you just talked about how you know just your presence can sort of shift perhaps the way that institutions approach other artists approach um sort of pace or something um have you had sort of antagonistic experiences in trying to have your work put out into the world with different institutions? Are there certain kind of, kinds of instit- institutions that you feel have been more or less responsive to your work? Sure. I mean,
1: yeah, I think generally... Um, I don't know. I wish I could be like this particular institution. Yeah, or that I wasn't... One. <laughs> not like call Not, not, not time to spill the tea <laughs> no. on the radio. Um, I just mean that... Um, I don't know how to drive this but that like my body and how it works and the bodies of lots of people right this isn't about me this is about an entire class of people are um, I would say like fundamentally um, not what am I trying to say like kind of fundamentally not aligned with the way that institutions function Right. right? right there's like a different experience of time yeah um, and different goals and a kind of, you know, there's a kind of, um, I think, radical unreliability of a chronically ill body mm-hmm. that is incompatible with the demands of production. Mm-hmm. And so those things can really clash. and um, and yeah, you know, it's it's just, yeah, it's just funny when institutions are like, hey, can you do something? And can you do it in this, like, can you do something about disability in this, short, in this like, very <laughs> short amount of time? Right. And it's like, no, like, disability is slow. Disability is like a different way of living. It's like a culture, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and if you want the thing, then you have to like, be about the thing,
0: right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so you've done some work with a group of artists, thinkers called Canaries. Um, can you tell me a little bit about... I've been trying to sort of reach research the genesis of it, and it's I'm, I'm not 100% clear about sort of what the group is and how it came about and sure. how you came to be involved.
1: Yeah, um, so Canaries is um, a support group and an art collective of uh, chronically ill women and femmes um, who are also artists. Um, it started out almost uniquely as a support group Mm -hmm. it started out um between me and two other people jesse cohen and bonnie suencionis Mm -hmm. um we met in new york three people our first meeting i think that was in 2013 the Mm -hmm. beginning 2013 And what started as a support group kind of rapidly grew because, um, you know, autoimmunity, I think that's primarily what a lot of people in the group are dealing with, is we're really like in an an epidemic. Um, And, you know, it was easy to start a support group because literally like every other day we would like meet some, um, you know, woman or some non-binary person who... um, who was chronically ill and really needed emotional support around it. And we also found, which is still true today, um, that so many people with chronic illnesses might, like, never communicate with somebody else who has the same thing that they have. And so we're in a kind of crisis of, like, deep, deep isolation. Um, And also because there's this kind of... There's this... Way in which, you know, around your health, you're supposed to be kind of unilaterally communicating with, like, a doctor mm. and not with other peers right. who are experiencing what you're experiencing. Right. So, um, so yeah. So, basically, it started... Um, really just support group, sharing information, talking about doctors, different treatment options, because most of these things are managed and not cured. Right. And so because of that, um, sorry, to cure in air quotes, yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, because of that, um, it requires a lot of, um, I would say labor and activity investment on the part of somebody who actually is living with these things to manage it. Right. Um, Because there's no like simple pill that you get that kind of takes care of it. Um, So that happened. And then because of the natural networks that we were in in New York, because, you know, Jesse went to Cooper Union and I was in different artist communities. um, It was like we had the support group and I was like, hmm, wow, all of us are artists. Mm -hmm. We're like all chronically ill and we're all artists, too. And so I think that's when we started to think about Making work together, and so we've done a few projects over the years. Um, you know, we're all chronically ill, so the process of working is very slow. We start things, people get sick, we stop, we start again. It's you know, it's there's a non normative pacing yeah. of the work that happens. And I think right now we're mostly focusing on the support group, which you know is a you know is a project that has to do a lot with yeah, just like information distribution and circulation, um, and um, I'm sure there will be more projects in the future but for now we're just kind of focusing on that but we were sort of interested in generating conversations this was when I was living in New York still yeah. um, even though we're still working on projects but at that time I think we were really interested in having conversations around care and wellness within the context of like the kinds of the kinds of living that happen in New York yeah. and what kinds of spaces are available to, like, facilitate wellness and, like, what would it mean to, like, engage institutions and in conversations around care, mm-hmm. um, which I think now is, like, kind of this weird, like, trending topic, right? Yeah. It's, like, everybody's, like, care, care, Software, care. Yeah. And so yeah. it's, um, it's kind of hard because you know, whenever any kind of conversation is turned over to the institution, you feel a little cringy. You're like, okay, I think this thing has, like, worn out. So I think now everybody's kind of, like, trying to figure out how can we, like, uh, reset the terms of the conversation or shift them in a way that doesn't, or that, like, disallows institutions from, like, absorbing the, like, ethics of being like we care, right. um, so yeah. But it's really an amazing group, and it's just an incredible network. And um, and yeah, I feel so like delighted and grateful that I've been able to organize and and do things with other people who are having similar experiences to me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's interesting that um, there's sort of in what you just just described an awareness of New York as, like, a particular kind of place. I feel like oftentimes um, artists who do work in New York adopt a kind of, like, placelessness. It's, like, because New York is the center of the art world, I'm not interacting with a location. I'm just, like... yeah, yeah, yeah. ...making things for the world. Um, And, um, you know, I, I think as... A Philadelphian, I'm calling myself that, even though I'm hardly a Philadelphian, but I'm claiming it. Um, and as you know, someone who works for a publication that's very much interested in place, and particularly in, and sort of using the lens of of place to think about the art world, which is increasingly sort of global and sort of dislocated or something. Um, I I wonder how you think about your own work in relationship to sort of where you're located, where you're based. Um, I mean, I know you have you have some roots here in the Philadelphia area. You've lived in New York. You've lived in Paris. Um, yeah, I guess I'm just wondering how sort of where you're located informs the work that you make.
1: Yeah, um, I think there is... It's a really good point about the kind of placelessness of artists in New York or how a New York artist can kind of assume a kind of placelessness, yeah. right? Even though that's not true. Okay. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I moved back here for a lot of reasons, um, but primarily because I thought it was a great place to to be an artist and to be a chronically ill person, mm-hmm. right? Like a place that um, had like a vibrant and interesting like, arts culture. Um, I also moved back here because Philly is, like, black as hell, and I missed that. And, um, And, yeah, and I felt like it was a good place to kind of quiet down and do my work. And while New York can be, like, incredibly generative, Um, And also, this is like just so specific to different people, and different people need different kinds of things. Um, I found that what I needed for my practice was to really have more space and quiet to really figure out what I was trying to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I'm definitely tied to... Philadelphia is a location for a lot of different reasons. I mean, right now I have some projects in the work that are more place specific um, and that are like not even related to disability in any kind of particular way. I mean, everything always is, but not explicitly. Um, And yeah, I guess I guess I like. That i like this city also I, f- I feel like we're talking so much about pace but because of its pace yeah. right this kind of slowness i mean not that it's it's not slow here no. by any means but in comparison to a place like new york Absolutely. um that really like speaks to me and that i think is like humane and accessible like it's just a more accessible city yeah. actually yeah um and so that's that's kind of why I, I like being here and I'm excited to be here and, and to kind of deepen my, my knowledge of the city,
0: if yeah. that makes sense. Can you talk a little bit about, you mentioned uh, you have some projects coming up. Um,
1: I mean, they're really just like totally in their infancy, yeah. but like I have like, you know, I have interests in weird, you know, Philadelphia and like Southeast Pennsylvanian like history mm-hmm. you know like i'm sort of interested like i also used to live in redding pennsylvania uh, so i'm interested in like anthracite coal mm-hmm. and things like that and kind of like net like you know early like early, or sort of like late 19th century early 20th century like net networks of like energy distribution mm-hmm. um and then i'm also really interested like i live in mount airy mm-hmm. and like i'm very much interested in Northwest Philadelphia as the kind of center of the abolitionist movement. Mm. Um, and there's like some lines of research that I'm interested in there, but that's just me telling you the things that I think are cool that I'm hoping to make work about, but
0: yeah. 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 Thank you. Mm Um, well, you know, one of the other things, so, you know, looking at your video work, um, it's always struck me as being, um, very beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like beauty is such a strange, it's such a, a, like a, a taboo subject or something nowadays. Um, but, uh, and, and and I'm, so I'm, I think my, my question generally is sort of, do you think about beauty in your work? Um, if so, how so? Um, you know, I, I also looked at your series, uh, was it Color in Unexpected Places? Yeah, yeah. Um, Which also feels like it's about beauty in a weird way to me. Totally. Um, So yeah, maybe if you could just talk a little bit about
1: that. Yeah, I wish I had, I don't know if I have anything super sophisticated to say about this, because I think in lots of ways um, that the, that that effect of my work is kind of, can, or at least up until this point has sometimes been a kind of afterthought mm-hmm. right and that some of the work I'm making now is maybe a little bit more austere mm-hmm. and not because I like that kind of work better but more because I'm because of the ideas that I'm working through I'm kind of in- interested in infrastructure and sort of like how can I like troll minimalism to like articulate ideas about like difference or something if that makes sense Totally. and so the work is looking different whereas the earlier work is like really colorful Mm -hmm. and like all of this stuff and you know I'm not you know my background is in like cinema and like video art so I don't have like any sophisticated ideas around color theory but I do think maybe I can tease out something about a kind of resistance to um i think the earlier works were definitely resistant to a kind of um how do i maybe like a neatness or a modernist impulse to like drain color from the work um and also because i think also the the really strong presence of color in a lot of the work has to do with like what is the kind of visual language around medicalized experiences Mm. right Right. which is that like (coughs) you're going through something really intense and so people try to kind of um you know address that experience or maybe soften the experience of it through flowers through color through these like these like absurdist like narrative paintings in the doctor's office and what does it mean to sort of like latch onto those things and then try to kind of um, play with that visual language or try to tease something out of that that maybe articulates something beyond what its intention is. Um, so, I don't know. I think maybe I have to think more about beauty. I don't, I always question myself as to whether I'm invested in beauty and I don't know. And I think it's because, I think, I think lots of people are having different arguments about this but are actually just saying the same thing in different ways. But I, I think the way I want to phrase it and say is saying that I'm actually not that invested in beauty, if that makes yeah. sense. Um, mostly because I think that um, you know there's a kind of I don't know there's a kind of um, politics around desire and desirability and and these things that make it hard for me to like fully right. just kind of let go of everything that's a ala- that's allowed us to define what beauty is yeah. and I think maybe some artists would then be like well we need to reinvest in other ideas of beauty etc right. etc cetera, et cetera. and I'm totally on board for that yeah. but I think in my own thinking um it's something that doesn't factor primarily in, in in my production of the work. But I'm also really into open interpretations of the work. And so, like, if other people see beauty there, that's, like, wonderful.
0: Yeah, yeah I mean, I think it, it comes through not necessarily in a way that you are asserting the beautiful as... as imp- or not that you're necessarily affirming the beautiful, but that you seem to be using... beauty beauty Beauty. that's a good
1: way to put it yeah maybe that maybe something about what you're saying speaks to like the cinematic or Mm. something because I do think that like I'm interested in the language of cinema as a kind of manipulation Mm. um as in a manipulation that can be used to like good bad and banal ends and I like playing with that Mm. and I think obviously the cinema has so much to do with beauty
0: right absolutely yeah um well, I I did want to ask, um, we mentioned briefly that you have a show up at the New Museum right now, mm-hmm. um, and I haven't been able to see it yet, but I do get the sense that it is sort of more in this austere vein that you're talking about. Your, sure. Your work. So can you talk a bit about that?
1: Yeah, you- sure. Um, it's a super minimal piece. I guess it could be understood as a ready-made. Um, basically, it was... Uh, Commission for the show I installed Also the show is called uh, Trigger Gender As as a Tool And a Weapon And I think it's up For many many months Um, And I installed In the main elevator Of the museum Um a grid of 12 white noise machines, Mm -hmm. DOM white noise machines. They're like this very specific brand. Um, If you have any familiarity with going to therapy or going to see an acupuncture puncturist or masseuse, you probably know what this object is. It's like this electromechanical metal box that has like a fan inside that produces white noise. Um, So I was kind of interested in those objects as like a kind of, um, these objects that have these kind of multivalent references to access and care, Mm -hmm. right? So they're like, you use them in therapy people use them to go to for sleep they provide comfort for babies or for concentration if you have ADHD Um, and thinking about white noise as a tool that facilitates access which is interesting because noise is something that obscures Mm. right and so I'm interested in noise as something um, or I'm interested in kind of trying to look at access and accessibility as something that's more complicated than just like transparency like we think of access and we're like oh we want access to something but what would it mean if access actually was a way to find cover under something Mm -hmm. or to hide right Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think what happens in the space I mean everybody responds to it differently but it kind of provides a cover of sound in what is like the contained space of the elevator Mm -hmm. Um, and I was interested in you know because my understanding of these objects primarily comes from therapy I was interested in like what would it mean to do make a kind of spatial intervention through sound that would allow people to have private conversations in public? Hmm. So um, so yeah, so it's like this thing that has to be either sp- spoken over right. or something that you can whisper and allows right. you to kind of be unheard. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of what I'm interested in. and, also, because I think that's what accessibility is about. It's about coming. It's not about access necessarily to something, but to each other. Mm. Um, and the piece is called a conspiracy. Um, yeah. Huh. Yeah. So it's yeah. It's kind of one of the more, um, you know, uh, simple works that I've made. Um, and I think because it's a work that has to be activated by the people in the space, I think I have a few months to figure out (laughs) what it's actually doing. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it feels almost in a way like an inversion, or not really an inversion, but a a slight, uh, I don't know, pivot or something from what we were talking about earlier in terms of um, different ways of bringing things that happen in private into the public sphere. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's like a through line through all the work. It just yeah. happens in these different
0: ways. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Um, well, f- thank you so much for sitting down with me. I really appreciate your time. I'm excited to be able to share this conversation with our readers. Um, is there anything else that you want to, I don't know, shout out or uh, announce? Um,
1: I guess, um, no, I, I, I guess the only thing I would say is like, whoever's listening to this, I hope that you're like finding ways to like take care of yourself and the people that you feel in community with. That's it. Thank, thank you. you so much.
0: Yeah. Thank you for having me. Okay. All right. Well, until next time, this has been our blog radio. Thank you for listening.